Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and I have a special guest today. So this is uh, Tomas Ranakari, and he was on here previously, episode 40, which was our the sixth most downloaded episode so far. And it was an episode that had a really deep impact on me. In fact, I've gone back and listened to it myself about a half dozen or so times. And I'm uh, just really looking forward to having a, a kind of a follow-on conversation uh, now, Tomas, one of the things that you had mentioned during that conversation was um, really that this idea uh, of lament. In fact, as you were introducing yourself, you know, and all the things that you do, you said that maybe the most meaningful thing that you've done is taught people to cry. Yeah. And, and that you were just very honored to be a part of revitalizing traditions. And, and you know, that, that caught my ear, but we got to talking about other things and, you know, for, for my own self, my own journey, I'm just very fascinated with, with human potential and getting out of our own way to, to find our own greatness and been looking a lot at uh, what a friend of mine would call emotional fitness. Mm, um, yeah. He, he's, in, he's an athlete, so he thinks in terms of fitness. But, uh, you know, lately I've been reading a lot by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz in The Four Agreements. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, Kamal Ravikant, you know, he did uh, the book, uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. Um, great book. Uh, Marissa Peer and talking about I Am Enough, mm-hmm. you know, so really just being good with ourselves. And I suspect that what you were talking about has some connection to all of that and that kind of emotional fitness. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I think this is uh, quite a natural continuation because I, as far as I remember, we talked quite a bit of authenticity last time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's also like the way we look at the world, ourselves and, and the people around us. If, if we really want to claim authenticity, it's not enough to be authentic in, in, ways that are generally approved and and praised you also got to be authentic on on the darker side of your life and and authentic with your with all of your emotions and uh, i think that's sort of like that's what emotionally fit means to me it doesn't mean to me that you are sort of living your life in a way that you you get to escape all the negative emotions and you recover really quickly from everything that happens and you're just like in the in a continuous joy that's that's not quite emotional fit to me like for me for me it means that you are deeply authentically living your life and authentically and deliberately feeling the the entire scope of emotions that the life provides and and that you 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 possess sort of like a freedom uh, that that you're free from from uh, other people's expectations and and free from uh, boundaries that that uh, you've got from your upbringing or 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 from the environment and really can just, you know, allow yourself to be who you are and uh, see all of those aspects uh, from uh, as something beautiful and valuable. So that's sort of like, that feels to me that emotional fit, fitness and authenticity and continuing from where we left the last time, because we, we talked a lot about joy the last we time and, and, you know, being authentic in in you know uh, in in those terms that you define what brings you joy and and have have like a uh, emphasis on those things and not to pretend joy joyous in any other terms than your own. So so this is kind of the same thing, but but on on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. So what, what is, I mean, you called it the, the cry song or the lament. Yeah. Uh, what, what is that? Well, this is a, this is a worldwide ancient tradition that, that has, has uh, different cultures have done it differently. And um, 
but it's really a global tradition as a phenomenon that the, the laments um, or cry songs they or keening in Ireland, it's it's all about combining poetry, um, crying and and song together, and that it 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 is basically a musical genre. Uh, genre of folk music. So mainly in funerals, this was really well known all over the world um, until Christianity attacked it in, in um, fiercely. So uh, if we go back in history a couple of thousands of years, the death rites were mainly led by women. And uh, and women took care of of the spiritual uh, side of the funeral, which was uh, the rite of passage for the deceased person. So how how the afterlife connects with this life and how how the ancestors who've gone before us, that they are there to, to greet this uh, person who's making that, that passage. But the, it's the other side, the communal side, was uh, was to to um, take care of the community so that the community faces the grief in in an appropriate way. And now when I say appropriate, I, I mean uh, uh, a way that is psych- psychically, or psych- like in your psychological side of yourself, that you go into the grieving process and you are moved and touched by it so because nobody stays the same and, and especially in a closely quit uh, uh, knit community uh, uh, when someone died it affected the entire community you had to reorganize all the life all the tasks of the person who who is now deceased had to be replaced by by some other members in the community and of course, this happens even today in our families and and uh, in in a, in a modern life. And whatever those um, what, whatever those experiences are, uh, like for example, in your family, if if your father behaved in a certain way, and now he's gone, there is like a vacuum in a family. To, to replace that behavior. Uh, and it doesn't matter if that behavior was loved or hated, embraced or, or disgusting. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's still like we, we tend to fill it up. We, we tend to sort of replace that activity and keep it going. Uh, so laments were one way of, of addressing all of these issues so that that the change doesn't happen unnoticed and that it happens consciously and in a most healthy way. And um, so this is, this is part of those tools and techniques that, that our, our ancestors have used and been very good at. It's been a big part of the survival strategy. And, uh, and uh, especially here in the West, these traditions have died out um, by the repression of the church and also by, by several myths that we have in a modernity that actually stem thousands of years back um, that, you know, we support individual crying, you know, that, that we, we don't deal collectively with our emotions. So, so um, that's like one of the myths that we have in our society nowadays that we prefer to cry alone or, or in a closed space and, and we, don't, we, f- we feel very uncomfortable to cry in front of other people. Uh, so, so these are sort of like myths that, that, that we've adapted that don't really serve us really well. <laughs> uh, and uh, so 
with with revitalizing the lament here in Finland, it was rather easy because uh, it hasn't been extinct for a long time. We uh, we still had people here who had learned the lament in their childhood from their grandparents, and uh, basically after the Second World War, um, the Karelians who who evacuated into the Finnish side of the border, they had to change a lot of their culture. They they uh, they were Orthodox. Um, Orthodox where the Finns were Lutheran or Protestant, so uh, they had to change their belief systems quite a bit, and uh, and uh, they had to adapt to the Protestant way of not crying. Because uh, for some reason the Orthodox Church did not attack the the lament as the Catholic and the Protestant Church did, so those traditions they preserved better under the Orthodox uh, Church, and still today in Russia the the laments have an an um, ongoing tradition and and it hasn't uh, it hasn't uh, what's the word it hasn't um, yeah, it hasn't like it's been continuous in Russia and among many indigenous cultures too. Yeah, you know that that's interesting. You mentioned that it kind of uh, faded after World War Two and with industrialization. Yeah, um, you know that's also about the time that I think in most Western countries communities became very mobile versus very tight knit. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so so you no longer had that that tight community group and so i can i can imagine it easily then fragmenting if you're no longer connected to community you no longer grieve as a community yeah exactly and also there's there's the talking about these modern myths one of them is that the rural rural people the less educated people that they are somehow uh less valuable people uh, and so that there's also we tend to believe that everything important happens in the cities, and uh, and this is a big part of the shame over the crying that we have. That that um, you know, in two thousand years, the church alone could not get rid of laments; it was still happening. But these cultures or, or this musical genre started to decline when city people were looking down at the rural people as dirty, uneducated, stupid, and so on and so on. So when, when, the, when the people um, who were educated, uh, going to universities and so on and so on, uh, looked down and casted shame over the rural people and their habits, that's where that's where the we really started to lose these traditions and uh, and you know nowadays you can totally see a shift backwards like we 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 are looking for our roots now we 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 know that we've gone wrong you know we we feel helpless with so many things and so many issues because we don't have that wisdom that our ancestors had that that were more closely uh, connected to the land. Well, we've cer- certainly, I, I, I can, I mean, you can sense that just uh, people feeling disconnected from other people and yeah. not having, not having that touch, feeling like you have to go it alone. And I, I suspect I'm in no way a psychologist, but I suspect that has a lot to do with an- anxiety today. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's feeling also like another, another angle to this is that, that, when you're disconnected to people, that's a one thing, but we are also disconnected from ourselves. I, I always say this, that, that your, your connection to nature equals your connection to your own nature, to your personality. So if you lose a connection to nature, it's really easy to lose yourself to lose sort of like the sense of who you are. And, and that becomes quickly replaced by all sorts of ideas of who you should be. <laughs> mm. And you definitely shouldn't cry. So, so you know, when we, when we go, like, 
when we go the whole cycle like this, we 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 wake up and see that wait a second, you know, here if if, if we can revitalize the crying, we can actually get back to a lot of connections about who 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 we are, who we really are. So you, you, you'd mentioned that, you know, last time we, we spoke a lot about joy and, you know, a, as a musician, your, your music is, at least with Corporate Clowning, is very joyful, uh, very mm-hmm. enthusiastic. And, you know, so, so that's kind of one side. And, you, you know, you, you mentioned that we kind of distanced previously, um, you know, the educated kind of look down on the uneducated, but you're very well educated. You're working on your doctorate. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, th- th- this feels like an, another side. How did you, where did your interest in the, the lament come from? How, how did you create that connection? Well, it all started from my interest about shamanism and, and sort of like, um, I was, uh, I've been for ages, I've been, interested about other uses of music than just the aesthetic pleasure so so all these like um, ways of using music as a tool to achieve something not just as an end result so that's that has always interested me and somehow um, when I was in, uh, studying in univer- university for my master's thesis, my original idea was to study the shamanic uh, music uh, of, of the Arctic people and, uh, and especially the indigenous tribes in Siberia that, that are somehow related to Finnish people. And, but then I found laments by, by almost an accident. And uh, I, I instantly recognized that here we have a musical genre that, that's in my own heritage that is very much like the shamanic songs. So, so I, I felt that I don't, have to, I don't have to go fishing too far in the sea, as they say, like I, I can stay in my own own culture and learn about the same things that I'm looking forward to learn in other cultures far away. And that, that alone is, of course, a huge revelation. And uh, sort of coming back to my own rules and seeing the value of, of, of my own, own uh, heritage. And uh, it all happened in a way that I was asked to be uh, there was a, a one folk music festival close to the Russian border in, in, in eastern Finland. And the producer asked me to meet up with an elderly folk musician to do an interview. And, and I was like, yeah, that's a nice idea. And an and older, older lady folk musician meeting a young man and, and, just an open discussion, and I'd never heard of her, and I asked, like, what does she do? And, and well, she's, she's a lamenter. And I was like, my gosh, I didn't know they exist anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, then, uh, then I did that interview, and we, we became really good friends, really close friends, and, and sort of like we felt so inspired uh, about, about laments and sort of like she had she had some she had done a lot of interviews before but but with me she kind of felt that i i i got it what she was saying and from that i i I started to practice them myself and uh, at that time I, i i used to live in new york city and uh and i got kicked out basically i my my work permit uh, as an artist, it didn't go through, and uh, I had to come back to Finland uh, in a, uh, without, you know, without my own own decision. Like, like fate kind of just threw me back here, and uh, I, I was really sad. Like, I, you know, I had lived there for three years, one of the best years of my life, and all my friends were there, and all the creative boss that the creative life that New York City can offer, you know. So I, I, I was really broken down by that. And, and uh, 
then as a, as a sort of scientist, I was making a transcription out of one of uh, Marta Kuikas laments, this older lament lady. And, uh, and it was about uh, evacuation and, and how she had 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 to leave her home in, in the Karelian side and how she didn't feel at home at all in, in this side of the border and and how and and uh, the lament language is very metaphorical and and that's one of the big keys in it psychologically that when you address things metaphorically you actually see them. So you stop analyzing them but and instead of analyzing and trying to understand them, you see them, you experience and feel them. So she used a one metaphor in her lament about feeling like a like a tree tree trump stuck in a in in a swamp, you know, unable to move in a, in in any any direction. So uh, so. You know, I, I felt myself the same way. I, I felt that I, you know, I don't belong here in this swamp of Finland and I can't move back where I left. And so, so somehow that image of being a trunk of a tree stuck in a swamp, that's sort of like, uh, you know, I felt myself like I, I identified with that, that trunk. And, uh, and then I tried out after I had made that transcription. I tried it out, and and uh, and and while singing it, you know, her words and her melody, I just cracked and started crying. And for a split of a second, I was like panicking. You know, what's happening to me now? <laughs> and, and then another voice in my head was saying that shut up, you are doing a lament. This is what is supposed to happen. And and you know, then then you know, I, I just went into this hysterical cry with it. And after after I was done with with the transcription part of it and her words and her melody, I just kept on going and adding my own words. And uh, that just. That one lament, one moment, just changed entirely how I felt about it all. Like, like I basically cried the victim out of myself because I felt I felt a victim of this world. You know, I, I wanted to be in New York and, and I was tossed away because of stupid legal issues and and uh, and and you know, like I felt that the world had treated me wrong and I. Uh, you know, I felt a lot like a victim, and after after that that deep cry had gotten out, I was like just seeing everything differently. I was seeing how how uh, how uh, fortunate I am to have so many people that I love all over the world, and how fortunate I am for all of that 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 I actually have a connection to that city, even though I don't live there. And also sort of like I became, instead of sort of like looking the surroundings in Finland from the wounded place, I started seeing them with, with whole different eyes, sort of like, you know, accepting it that maybe this is meant to be. Maybe this is, you know, not just looking for a way out, but seeing that maybe here's something even more interesting for me. And and surely that's how it ended up. Ended up, you know. I would I wouldn't move for any money right now. <laughs> you know? well, so. well, so it sounds like a a way of uh, deeply and relatively quickly processing that that emotion. Um, I mean, yeah. those would be my words yeah. for it. But yeah. So for people who aren't you know musically inclined haven't done that before, how can they approach the lament or, or this way of, you know, I, I love the phrase crying the victim out of yourself, yeah, you know, yeah. um, where, where do people even start connecting, uh, you know, with that, the rest of that authentic part of themselves? Was there like two questions? Like <laughs> oh, that, that, that was probably about four questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, with the music, 
there's uh, there's such a relief for everybody because to do a good lament, you you ought to sound horrible. <laughs> so so everything like that's what I've said always in my workshops that that uh, that I asked like how many of you are traumatized by your school teacher about singing. And those who those who are, it's like you know, welcome. Like you're going to do so well here because everything that your school teacher told you not to do is what makes a terrifically beautiful lament. So you know, you, you are supposed to uh, uh, lose your pitch. You are supposed to stop in middle of sentences here and there. You are supposed to get carried away from your by your emotions so that you can't sound, you know, you can't control your sound anymore. You're supposed to do mistakes, you know, so-called mistakes. You're, you're supposed to have moments where you don't make sense at all. <laughs> you know, and so all of these things that, 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 that we were, we were told that is a mistake in singing is actually a virtue in lament. And uh, to do a lament is a lot about like, like, uh, like, like speaking in a way that when you start off a sentence, you don't really know. You haven't planned how how that sentence will end. You just have an idea, in, you know, an intuitive idea of what's going on, and you you just speak, right? You know, you you don't write your speech and then go on you know, to speak. So the same thing is in lament that you don't always know where you're going when you, when you begin. And that's something to be practiced, you know, how, how to, how to do that while singing, how to do that, how to lead, how to let the emotions lead. And interestingly, um, the melody might feel like a, like an obstacle at, at the beginning, but the thing is that when we stop speaking and start using our voice in a song-like quality, our thinking is different, and we actually access a system in our inside of ourselves where emotions have more room to be expressed. And analyze and analyzing our, our words and thinking and thinking uh, what is appropriate or what is not diminishes. So actually, when we sing, our brains function a little bit differently, and uh, it's much easier to be in a heart coherent place when when you sing. And and if you have an intention. To cry. That's that's what Marta Kuika taught me among the first things in our first meeting. That lament is made out of anything that you know that will make you cry. So it doesn't. You don't have to pick your biggest trauma in your life. Just like being treated badly in some everyday situation. That's enough if you feel that that's something that will actually make you cry. And uh, and if you have that intention that now I'm going to sing out some nonsense, some whatever comes out from my mouth, with that intention that I will focus on this one subject that I know that it will make me cry, it will all happen by itself. Well, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, this was a way of helping the community grieve, but it sounds like it also works very well just on the individual level it, as well. It really does. Like traditionally uh, in the Karelian uh, life um, about 200 years ago, uh, women were both uh, both the, the, the leaders of the community and also in the lowest uh, part of the uh, community, so so the 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 matriarch, the 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 old the the old women, they were they were sort of on make you know they were on top of all the decision making, but then the just you know those those girls who were just married, they they had no position in in the community, so they were they were like the lowest of the lowest. 
and uh, they didn't even belong to the family family uh, upon marriage, but only after they had uh, given a child. So, so they they were they were mistreated often, and 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 um, they they had no place to place to go in a way. So they used to go to the forests or to the graveyards and uh, lament there to to the to the nature beings or to to the to the ancestors. And uh, I think that's such a such a big relief for us in in modern life too that we don't need we don't we don't necessarily need other people to do our laments we can have you know we can have a picture of a loved person to witness us in our lamenting or or we can go to some place that that we feel safe in and and feel carried in and and you know we can light a candle and do the lament for the candle you know but it's important that the lament has a witness. That's really crucially important, because uh, uh, the word lament has has had kind of an inflation. Uh, we don't uh, we don't think lamenting as something valuable nowadays, and also uh, the negative and unhealthy way to lament is to keep repeating your problems, you know, just to be like uh, going over and over again about your problems without an actual emotional process that would take you somewhere else. So so these laments that I'm talking about, these are about creating change. These are about the rite of passage. You're not supposed to be the same person after you've lamented that you were before the lament. So it's an active process of of um, getting a new point of view to to your life or to to a situation at hand. It's of course a release, and and it can actually heal you from from any trauma. Like um, I mean, out of uh, over thousand participants that I teach lament in our workshops, you can imagine the the variety of traumas that. That, that those thousand people have brought brought up. So there's everything you can imagine has been has been dealt there. And uh, um, where where am I going to with this now? <laughs> um, well, well, I, let, let me jump in and ask because you mentioned you know, you, you yeah. do workshops where people are, are doing this. How do you? deal with that emotion that you're just around like that seems like that would be so intense everyone processing you know their their, their wounds um with, with you kind of you know in the center of it um yeah what, what do you how, how do you keep yourself separate while still being you know in the middle of that well i don't and that's the whole mm. trick see that's that that's one of the the myths that we have that that sort of that sort of clinical psychiatric model that 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 you you are not supposed to get involved, but the lament is all about getting involved, and and one of the big things is that there is no such thing as individual pain or individual grief. Like uh, um, that's another myth. Like we think that we think. Uh, we are often ashamed of our emotions, and we think that nobody will understand. And 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 because of that shame of of what has happened or what we've gone through, we lock ourselves up and we don't share. And that's a mechanism that actually starts to eat us up alive, even physically. You know, so many so many diseases stem from this uh, this kind of thinking and action so uh, the beauty of lament is that when you actually are around people who witness your lament you cannot but realize that 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 everybody recognizes the pain that everybody recognizes the grief and and very often uh, very often it happens that it triggers something in you 
that you haven't remembered or you haven't, you know, consciously aware in years, but there's still something in your system that, 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 you know, tears that have not been cried out, tears that, that we blocked and saved for later and tried to escape them so that we never have to think about them. But they are all there. They are all in, in some, some lockers in our, in our body and in our psyche. All of those uncried tears. So in these workshops, what happens is that you usually recognize something in, in everything that everybody does. And it's just like a big collective cry up. <laughs> and it's actually most beautiful. And it can, it can all, it can feel ecstatic even when, when the grief is, is, is in, in its like, in, in its purest uh, power, it's it's very ecstatic. It's so purifying, and uh, and so so to be a witness to someone's cry is actually a, a very big involvement. So I don't cry always when someone else is crying. It doesn't happen every time, but almost every time in a group of, let's say, 10 participants, every cry brings some other people to cry to. And sometimes it happens that everybody cries, that it just touches everybody, everyone at some level. And I think one of the things that we've lost is this, this empathy, this like healthy empathy of, of, of relating, uh, to, relating to pain. And uh, and that's sort of like one of the most beautiful things is is to 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 awaken into that uh, that truth that there is no individual grief that every grief is shared, every grief is recognized by 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 all of healthy humanity. There is no individual grief. I, I like that. I've, yeah. I've got to think about that one a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's also, because that's tied into shame. Like when you admit to this that there's no individual grief, uh, you, 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 you are starting to shake off shame already. So you're sort of like pre-paving your way to actually be witnessed. And, and when you are witnessed, that's where the healing happens. Because, uh, and that's why it is so important that the lament has a witness. Whether it's an, an, a non-physical uh, witness or, or a group of other people, because if there is no witness, you can sort of like uh, create a loop where you just circulate these things inside of yourself, and you are not releasing anything. You are just feeling wounded and being more wounded. But as as uh, as soon as you have a witness, you have some, someone who takes in and participates in your tears. You've given it all out, you know, you, you've been exposed. And when you are exposed in a loving uh, environment, um, it's, it's the most healing thing that you can experience. Because then there's no room for shame, there's no need for shame. And, uh, and that, that loving surroundings and loving people around you, they will actually uh, help you to, to reorganize your, your whole persona around that subject. It's magical. It's absolutely magical. So I'm curious, um, and I... I don't want to take away from that, that discussion. Uh, but you know, for you, for yourself, uh, Thomas, you know, you, you, you are a musician for all the craziness of, of the music business mm. and being on tour and being in front of crowds and all of that. You also strike me as just being an extremely grounded person. Oh, um, thank just, you. you know, <laughs> That's a big compliment <laughs> for myself. <laughs> um, and, and you, you know, no, no, you know, yes. Um, 
and I, and I mentioned that, you know, before we even started recording, you mentioned that you'd, you know, kind of had a kind of intense experience not too long yeah. before we, we started talking <laughs> and, uh, you know, no one who came across this would, 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 would realize that. And what, how do you, I, I guess I, and I'm stumbling over the question here, but just what do you do to be so grounded and connected? Well, it's, uh, it, there's, there's definitely not like a one quick fix for that. It, I think it's, I think it's a skill of life that, that one needs to address and practice. And, um, oh my, I mean, it's, uh, to me it's commitment it's commitment to to live and experience this life in 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 a certain way which has to be honest and yet very full very fulfilling you know (laughs) i'm i'm quite a hungry person for experiences (laughs) so but but it's also sort of uh, what I do and what I have done for so many many years, for like I think the the most basic groundwork is nature. That the sort of like um, I seek nature experiences uh, on a regular regular basis, and if I if I don't have them, I create them from what what's there around. And, you know, the sun is always up whether you see it or not and if it's down the moon is there whether you see it or not and so there's always something greater than you that you can connect with and also land the ground uh in order to be grounded you you really have to to understand what the ground is right (laughs) like so for me i do i do a lot of things daily I think I mentioned the water exercise last time that, you know, just in a morning taking a glass of water and remembering that that water is actually the same water that was the, the, that the origin life is from. And, and just thanking, being thankful of that for a little while and drinking that water while I also address that I am water inside of me is so much water. So, so that's, that's one of them. But also, like now it's summertime over here, so I I love to go barefooted uh, as often as I can because you know you don't get grounded when you're jogging with your sneakers. It's not enough. So just like physically feeling the ground is important for me, and I actually do that in a winter too. Like I I go to stand on a snow barefooted, not every day, but every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so these are little things that I do, but but then uh, what takes what takes the commit commitment is sort of like um, it is again the authenticity, sort of like really practicing that awareness that what is fake and what is not, because we you know I've faked a lot in my life, like uh, like I've I've really thought that I'm being authentic, but I'm just running other other programs that I'm not aware of. And and those questions like it has it has taken a lot of crying to sort of to to wake up from those programs and 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 just honestly say that I was hurt at that that point. You know, my life changed tragically at that point or in, in those years in that environment that I had to be. And I'm still carrying resentment. I'm still carrying these and these feelings and thoughts. And just like, you know, that's authenticity. Like, like you know, when somebody's laughing, like really laughing, I'm not really sure if they are authentic. But when someone is really crying, there's no room for any any fake masks or any 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 uh, pretending. So I, I think I, I've somehow become hooked for those experiences of being with people who 
who open up in that way and to meeting meeting and getting to know people from that place of a cry because it's just so beautiful and it's all about responsibility you know that i don't um we all deny things we all project things to other people that are inside of ourselves we all fail, you know, fall into blaming every now and then, be it self-blame or blaming others. But if you have enough of moments in your life where you actually claim the responsibility and you just say that I am, I am upset, I am angry, I, I, I'm full of grief, and you have those magic words there, I am, it's not about, you know, that made me feel, you know, you know, your actions made me angry. You know, that's all bullshit. <laughs> but really just, you know, stopping there, stopping all the movement that goes on, all the energy that goes on when we are fighting, you know, it's just like projection and, and, uh, and escapes and, uh, and attacks. And so it's a lot of energy. When you just say, when you just take a pause and say, I am upset, there's no movement. It's a pause. So I am, you're not attacking, you're not, you know, you're not defending. You're just there, you know, in the I am. And when you honestly continue whatever you are feeling, you're reaching authenticity. And in a very responsible way, uh, way and uh i i guess you know that's that's sort of like that's the commitment to be commitment to this kind of like truth and authenticity and taking responsibility of it that sort of like forces you to be grounded uh repeatedly and um if you're really lucky that becomes like a part of who you are part of how you live your life and it, it becomes like an automated system that you don't have to think about it so much. <laughs> well, this is uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I'm going to actually have to think about and <laughs> process yeah. a lot of this because you yeah. have you've ta talked very you know broadly and deeply um, a lot here. So, if someone were were interested in finding out more about lament or any of the things we we've talked about, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, um, here in Finland, we have uh, quite a few workshops per year, and uh, right now, I've I've been invited to start working for the re-imaging re and revitalizing of the Keening tradition in Ireland. So uh, there, there we've had a few workshops until now, and more is more is to come. And uh, so in Ireland, there is also a movement now of of people getting more active around keening tradition and lament. And um, uh, so the workshops are definitely the most most effective way to start learning. There aren't that much literature in English about about the modern lament. There are some historical books about the Greek lament, and even even in the Egypt, in the hieroglyphs, they have a sign of a lamenting woman. So those historical things one can find from libraries and and uh, and uh, books, but but other than that. Um, it's it's actually difficult to say. A lot of people have just contacted me directly, and and I try to help everybody, <laughs> and at least try to get them on the workshops and let them know when those are happening. On our last US tour, I, I actually hold a one in Seattle with about six people attending. Uh, so. And I'm dreaming that that someday I would have like a like a web um, web course on lament because there's so many people who would need it. But 
we'll find we'll, we'll see when i find the time to do that but it's in the making you know it's in the dreaming process now i'm afraid that's not too much <laughs> yeah well, well 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 that's all right i mean we mentioned at the beginning that uh, this is all about revitalizing bringing back so um, no surprise that it's uh that there isn't much yet on it yeah and there's also uh, but, some other pioneers there's a person called malidoma somme who has done lament workshops in in the u.s they're a bit different than our our workshops but anyways working with the same tools more or less and uh, and uh and it's also because it's it's a worldwide tradition, so there's there are many many ways to approach laments. So I guess I guess it's up to everybody to just go on searching and trying to find what what was available and what is happening. Yeah, and and, and you've given some some great thoughts just around you know that you, you didn't use the word vulnerability, but that's kind of what I kept hearing mm. and. You know that that deep expression uh, of self and being able to connect back back to that. So I love our conversation today and, and really appreciate your your time and your your insights here. Yeah, I, I got to say one thing more. Our elders used to say that that uh, joy and cry are sisters, and if you if you think of it physiologically, uh, the same muscles. Um, are working in the same way when we are in a deep laughter or in a deep cry. So even physically, they are very close together. And somehow, I think that that anybody who can who can cry authentically, they can laugh authentically. So so that's something to think about for the end. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much, Tomas. Thank you. It's been a pleasure once again. <laughs>